very interested in people that are providing solutions. So we don't have political people at the conference. It's not a governmental conference. It's not a research paper conference. People are always saying, can I send you a research paper? I said, no. This is a practitioner's conference. People providing solutions on our greatest problem, which is climate change. Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast featuring the icons and entrepreneurs of technology, commodities, and finance, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we examine the questions, are we facing a crisis of information or a crisis of trust? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? This episode is brought to you in part by Base Carbon, it's time to get serious on carbon. Learn more at basecarbon.com. Welcome back to Demystifying the Carbon Markets on Smarter Markets. I'm Dave Greeley, Chief Economist at Abex Technologies. Our guest today is Peter Fusaro, founder of the Wall Street Green Summit, which for 21 years has brought together the leading practitioners in sustainability with the goal of building a more sustainable financial system for responsible investing and the changing role of business. Hello, Peter. Welcome back to Smarter Markets. First off, congratulations on holding your 21st annual Wall Street Green Summit this week. Uh, For those in our audience who aren't familiar with the summit, why did you start it and what is your vision for it? We started 21 years ago to focus on three things carbon markets and emissions, renewable energy, and energy efficiency. And over time, it has evolved into a community of 8,000 people who have attended. It was always held in New York, except the last three have been virtual due to COVID. But the vision, very simply, is to bring the best practitioners in the world in various markets, not just carbon, not just ESG, but veg tech, Uh, climate solutions, uh, energy efficiency, greening the built environment. Uh, This year, we've had ocean investing again, veg tech, the metaverse, the green exchange out of Singapore, crypto, blockchain for carbon. So we have a very varied uh, profile. The reason is not one size fits all. Secondly, I'm very interested in people that are providing solutions. So we don't have political people at the conference. This is not a governmental conference. This is not a research paper conference. People are always saying, can I send you a research paper? I said, no. This is a practitioner's conference, people providing solutions on our greatest problem, which is climate change. And this is from the vantage point of finance and technology. That's kind of the lens I use. Yeah, I did have the pleasure of listening to quite a few of the panelists, and you have a a wonderful collection of not only financial market people, investors, but also the the, the real scientists, the engineers, the technologists that are working through some of these new technologies to help all of us reach net zero. And this year, the agenda focused on a few key topics, ESG investing and reporting, carbon markets and finance, clean energy, and greening the built environment and transportation. Why did you choose those topics to focus on this year? About six, seven months ago, I I said, what's going to be topical for 2022? And I decided definitely carbon markets. And the second thing is ESG. There's a lot of confusion on ESG. And it just so happens last week, I should say this week, the SEC came forward with their rule. So the reality is 
not only is our timing exquisite because now you have the SEC is going to have mandates for public companies to report on the E of ESG, that's environment, their emissions footprint. And we attacked that from 12 speakers. And then the next day was set up deliberately to carbon markets and not just looking at exchanges, which we had several, but also nature-based solutions because there's really a shift in this market that's only occurred in the last eight, nine months from an oversupplied market to an undersupplied market. And I've never seen a commodity market flip that quickly. So for example, nature-based solutions have tripled in price in eight months. And the reality is there's a lot of carbon developers that are staffing up to provide those solutions. So at our conference, we had South Pole uh, from a number of vantage points on nature-based solutions. We had the head of nature-based solutions speak, and we also had them look at uh, other different credits. So the schema of the event is finance. How do you solve these problems and make money doing the right thing, as we say in New York? <laughs> that is very New York. Um, and I, I would love to you to, to talk a little bit more about the, the first part you brought up on the, the more recent SEC rulings. Uh, because as we've had guests on this demystifying the carbon market series, that's kind of come up over and over, this idea that, you know, these net zero commitments aren't just words. It's not just marketing, but it's going to be something that companies are held to uh, the way they are held to other types of financial disclosures. So uh, given that it's so fresh and you've just had, you know, great speakers on the topic, I was wondering if you could give us, you know, kind of the viewpoint you take away on these new SEC rules. Well, I used to be a policymaker for a regulatory agency in D.C., the Department of Energy specifically. So I kind of know the process. What we're going through right now is a notice of proposed rulemaking. Gary Gensler saying we're going to go after uh, disclosure. That's going to take a process of probably 15, 18 months because you have a notice of proposed rulemaking, public hearing, written comments, and this is very contentious, but the, the end product will be he, Gary has the regulatory authority to mandate this. This is going to impact every major corporation in the United States. It's a very big deal. It's actually seminal because it's now going to be material on the balance sheet. So about six, seven months ago, I started getting a number of calls on sustainability reporting, sustainability scorecards, sustainability metrics. That's a confusing topic all of its own because there is no standardization yet in this market, but it's coming. So the reality is the U.S., in my opinion, is galvanized now to push faster on ESG reporting, investing, carbon footprints, and then the next piece of this is going to be offsets because corporations in the United States and around the world are not going to be able to get to net zero anytime soon. They're going to have to buy offsets. They've done the low-hanging fruit of operational efficiencies. That's an easy thing to do, not a heavy lift. And technology cycles are quite long-dated, particularly in the energy patch where I've worked for almost 50 years. So it's going to take time for companies to actually do the energy transition, decarbonize, and so they're going to buy offsets. So I see actually the biggest commodity market we've ever seen starting to mature. And this is real and material. And I have seen this from the vantage point of oil market maturation, natural gas market maturation, and electric power market maturation. 
This one's a little different because we have 65 mandated carbon markets in the world and the voluntary market, which right now is quite small. It passed a billion dollars last September, according to Ecosystem Marketplace, but is sized by most analysts at least to 95 to $100 billion by 2030. So there's a little bit of a carbon gold rush going on, which is good. It's not going to be greenwashing because you need to buy the superior credits that are validated, verified. And uh, the reality is all of that is already in place in the ecosystem. So we haven't seen a scaling operation like this anytime soon. Furthermore, every single carbon accounting, carbon exchange, carbon platform in the last year has been funded. And some have had two rounds of funding. I've never seen anything like that in the venture world. Absolutely. And you referred to the tripling of the price of, you know, carbon, I believe it's in the voluntary carbon markets. In your view, is that largely just driven by the demand and these net zero commitments? Definitely. If there wasn't demand, we would have very low pricing, which we saw before. We had oversupply of credits. And frankly, we've had fits and starts over the last 20 years. I was a member of the Chicago Climate Exchange. I was on the board of the Carbon Trade Exchange in the UK and Australia. And we really never got there. And the reason we didn't get there is the United States, the second largest emitter of greenhouse gases after China, did not move forward in the Senate with carbon mandate. It didn't happen. So it didn't happen here. In my opinion, ESG reporting is de facto decarbonization. It's actually going to happen a different way, but it's going to have the same kind of impact. Right. And... When you look back, you just wrapped up the, uh, the summit on Thursday. What were some of the other key highlights that came out of the summit for you this week? Well, one thing we've, we've been looking at for the last few years, and I was very involved early in California with PACE financing, Property Assets Clean Energy Bond, and it really had a lot of trouble getting traction. Now it's very mature. Nuveen bought uh, Greenworks Lending, so now it's Nuveen Green Capital, we had Ygreen, another platform for the residential market. What I'm seeing is a tremendous uplift in green bond securitization, energy efficiency, renewable energy. So we're seeing this actually move faster. 26 states now have PACE laws, and that's a big deal because homeowners and businesses can start greening their uh, infrastructure, so to speak. So that's one thing that's actually now ready for prime time. Some of these things are long dated. That took about 15 years. The other thing I'm starting to see a lot of interest in is ocean investing. So a year and a half ago, we had the first ocean fund present. Today, that same speaker came back. He's raised over 100 million euro. There are now eight funds in ocean investing. And what he was very surprised was there's a fund of funds in ocean investing, which is pretty interesting for such an early stage market. That's one thing. The second thing is VegTech. Yesterday, a VegTech ETF was launched. Uh, we looked at saltwater agriculture because you know most of the landmass is, is going to have a lot of problems feeding 9, 10 billion people by 2050. So I think those were very topical. And we also looked at some blockchain uh, applications, specifically with carbon. But we wanted to see, uh, and from very different vantage points, where crypto was going in the carbon market. So we had a number of exchanges from Brazil, from Singapore, from other places 
talk about the blockchain. And that's going to be very substantive, in fact, for the SEC reporting. Because once you start looking at the general ledger on the blockchain, you're going to have transparency. And that is really what we're talking about when this becomes material in the U.S. And I'm seeing a number of advisory staff up on ESG reporting and metrics, scorecarding, et cetera. Right now, it's kind of the Wild West on two market fronts. One's ESG, second is carbon markets. But that's the way markets develop. Right. And for those um, in our audience who aren't familiar, can you give a couple examples of what ocean investing and veg tech are? Sure. Ocean investing is looking at things like uh, mangroves, looking at kelp beds. Uh, these are going to be, uh, in fact, I had uh, a, a person look at kelp burgers uh, once upon <laughs> a time. So uh, ocean investing is we have dead zones in the oceans. People are very aware of plastics in the oceans. They're looking at it as a venture side. They're funding uh, at least 20 new companies in the ocean space, ocean tech. This is not re uh, renewable energy. This is actually cleaning up the oceans, which need to be remediated. We have tremendous problems, but people don't really understand. We only have two natural carbon sinks in the world. A carbon sink absorbs carbon. One is forestry and the other is oceans. If we didn't have those two entities, the carbon footprint of the globe would be 52 billion metric tons, not 38 billion. So it's quite important to start looking at carbon sequestration in oceans as well. So that's one area of tremendous growth. The other is veg tech. Uh, saltwater agriculture, I mentioned, there's going to be some experimentation in the Caribbean to do some of this in Belize. Uh, the reality is we need to start looking at plant-based agriculture much more substantially than uh, Impossible Burgers and uh, other ones. The re and the vertical farming is another area which I think is going to start getting an uplift. It's lost a lot of money uh, through the different verticals. But I think as climate change becomes real material, as there's more stressors on the environment for agriculture, there'll be a lot of interest there. The last thing I want to mention is hemp. Hemp came up a number of times. Hemp actually sequesters carbon 9 to 22 tons an acre. Texas A&M is doing some research on this right now. There's actually a hemp exchange in Chicago, which I spoke to a few months ago. And hemp can be used for building materials. And in the last year, on the commodity lumber side, we've seen four or 500% increase in lumber costs because of all the housing construction going on. So hemp makes a very net zero building material because it absorbs carbon. Well, and those are great takeaways. You know, what I'm hearing is the investment dollars are flowing. There's a number of promising nature-based solutions coming into their own. And that blockchain looks like it'll have a, an important role in the record keeping and transparency that's going to be so important uh, to keeping these commitments and, and monitoring them and uh, creating carbon markets. I was curious, you know, in addition to the highlights, were there any surprises for you this week? Um, did you learn something that you didn't know going into the summit? Well, not to be too arrogant, but I actually... <laughs> pick speakers and they get homework assignments. So I'm actually not surprised at all. What I try to do is have people share knowledge. It's not very good if Peter Fusaro is out there saying this as one person, which I did for several decades, actually three decades on climate change. It's much better to have a chorus of 50 speakers resonating their own opinions 
and expertise. That's the game here. You have to have the team. As I mentioned, 8,000 people have attended the summit. We'll have another one next year. We may have some mini summits coming up. But the reality is it's building community on sustainability. And I'll just go back to one analog, and I have to tell you this. I was at Earth Day 1970 with my solar power T-shirt at Carnegie Mellon University. I was also at Woodstock the year before that. So it's the children of the baby boomers that embrace sustainability. This is a very big deal. Corporations in the United States continue to purchase renewable energy, and there is absolutely no mandate to do that. They are doing that because they cannot attract young employees if they're not lean and green. Gensler, the world's largest architectural firm, had told me several years ago to hire young architects, they needed to do green projects. So there's a value here that has shifted and it's, it's resonating in the markets on impact investing in ESG, but it's also behavioral. Uh, you know, people, there are still a few climate deniers out there, but the science is in, folks. I have been involved in climate change since March 4th, 1990, when I wrote an article on how global warming, as it was called then, would impact the oil and gas industry. So I have spent my entire career in the energy patch, and we're going to see the biggest business transformation we've ever seen into energy, clean energy, energy in many manifestations, because energy runs civilization. And we're still going to be using fossil energy. This misnomer that we're going to divest everything. My game is divesting is going away from providing a solution to a problem. I'll give you another example. I work with refiners on taking the lead out of gasoline in 1976. And what happened was engineers solved those problems. They took the lead out of gasoline. I took that idea, which became called a gasoline reformulation to Asia, spoke at every dirty energy conference and ended up changing laws in four countries in Asia. I can now report there is no gas, uh, lead in gasoline in the world. It's a known carcinogen. And so what I'm getting at, if you give a runway for change, the, the private sector will innovate and get it done. And you've brought up the word community a couple times so far in our conversation. And I think that's so important, you know, because it's not just about the ESG investing movement. As you said, it's about what the customers want. It's about what the employees want. And as you've kind of created this community over the past 20 plus years and going back to the original Earth Day, how do you keep the community in touch and going and vibrant in between the summits? Well, we're going to try, we just launched some new technology. So on our website, which is thewallstreetgreensummit.com, you can join our community. And the idea behind that is for people to reach out to speakers, to share knowledge, to do uh, investment, because the conference is about business development and investment. That's kind of the sub-theme. It's always been a, a, a lot of uh, business done in the room. Now, when you don't have a room and you have it, uh, virtual, it's a little different. So we're trying some new technology out of Israel to actually uh, form um, more close relationships. And um, my colleague in uh, Tel Aviv told me there was an uptick there. People that put their profiles there and people were asking all during the summit for emails. This is a, We have every LinkedIn profile of every speaker, but we actually think there's a bigger fish to fry of building this sustainable finance community. That's great. And we'll be certain to uh, post that 
in, in our materials as well. So if people are, if listeners are looking for it, uh, we'll have that online for you. I wanted to ask you, you know, you said you picked the topics, you know, maybe about six months ago, as anyone planning a conference needs to do. There's a lot that, that goes into it. Uh, but of course, we've had the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, at the end of February, and that's having dramatic effects on the energy markets. I was at the FT Commodities Global Summit last week, and there was a noticeable shift in the conversation towards uh, an emphasis on energy security. What impact have recent events had on people's thinking on sustainable and low-carbon energy at the Wall Street Green Summit? Do they see it as accelerating the energy transition or perhaps slowing it down? It's definitely accelerating, but it already was because the inflection point was reached. When you reduce the price of solar by 95% and wind by 70%, you're actually moving the market. But what's really occurred here uh, is that it's very, energy security is still important. I was very involved in setting up the SPR, Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I noticed that President Biden is releasing a million barrels a day. There are 600 million barrels in the reserve. Uh, we're not going to get away from fossil energy. You know, many years ago, I worked on the Prius with Toyota, 97, 98. The reality is, what does that do? It, it uses less gasoline and less of an environmental impact. So you still got a dichotomy of a world that's dominated by fossil fuels. Fossil fuels, $6 trillion business, clean energy, maybe $900 billion business. So it's going to take time to transition that. And security is really going to be seminal. But we have a geopolitical realignment going on here. I'm a political scientist by training. And the Russian invasion of Ukraine is seminal. It's the Cold War back as a hot war and a democracy versus authoritarianism. So there's actually a line in the stand that's being set up, and it's going to realign energy flow. Because the reality, the Russians produce a lot of oil and gas, specifically gas to Western Europe. Now, you know, I've worked on LNG projects, liquefied natural gas projects. They, you just can't turn the spigot on. These are capital intensive to build gasification and regasification receiving terminals, and that takes time. So right now we're in a situation where you've got to look at something very long dated. This is not going to happen tomorrow. So the immediate impact of releasing crude oil from the SPR is, is not going to mollify markets as much as they think. The market is set by uh, the, the trading floor, so to speak. The reality is you've got to refine that oil. So there's, a, there's a, also a misnomer what kind of oil is in the SPR So because there are different gradations of oil. This, so what I'm getting at is clean energy is here to stay. The transition started. It's accelerating. Decarbonization is going. A, a handful of oil and gas companies are embracing the, what I'll call the new energy industry, which is going to have uh, clean energy as well as electric power. That's going to be part of the portfolio of oil and gas companies. And there will be a divestment from coal. There has been in the United States. We used to burn 55% coal. It's now less than 25%. So the point being, it takes time to make any kind of change. It certainly does. And you've you know, you've witnessed a lot of changes over the past 20 years. I, you know, the Wall Street Green Summit, 
been there from, you know, the so-called carbon 1.0 days of the 2000s through the lost decade of the 2010s to, you know, where we are with, uh, say, carbon 2.0 today. And I would just love to get your perspective on how has the conversation changed over those years? Well, I think what's really occurred is that we're seeing, unfortunately, the impact of climate change. We're seeing it with fires. We're seeing it with uh, water. We're seeing it in agriculture. We're seeing it in ocean currents. We're seeing it in dead zones with no fish. So reality is it's now real and material. And I can actually echo something. About two and a half years ago, I bumped into the meteorologist for CBS News at Climate Week. We used to run Climate Week in New York. And he told me Columbia uh, Journalism School was echoing climate change for one week. They had 30 news organizations involved. And I think they were highly successful because now you can't turn off the <laughs> tube without having something about climate change. But it was really not on the top five, top 10 list uh, for journalists to cover. And uh, I've done a lot of interviews. So I think that is the major shift underway. So you got a problem. Now you go to the capital markets for the solution. And the solution is not just carbon offsets. It's better technology. It's how we use energy, in my opinion, more cleanly and environmentally benignly. It's looking at no disruption. This is incremental change for the energy business, the uh, food business, and the water business, the three largest businesses in the world. This takes time. And there are going to be market failures, but that's part of the game. The better news is, and I'm very involved with the accelerators and incubators as well, there's a lot of great thinking going out. But moving something from the lab bench to commercialization takes time and a lot of capital. Right. And so certainly, as you said, there's been more of an understanding, more of seeing the impacts of climate change, which has certainly changed people's thinking and in terms of those conversations as well, where do you feel like we've made the most progress and what big issues do you think remain unsettled as we look forward? Well, hands down, we've made the most progress in the energy patch. I mean, making solar affordable for the globe is a pretty great accomplishment. So when solar panels were six bucks a watt, it was very unaffordable. Now it's a commodity market and people in developing countries can leapfrog to better technologies. Wind similarly has come down in price 70% and there are better technologies such as induction wind out of Germany that does not have a gearbox. And here in the Northeast, I live in New York, we're now building offshore wind. So we actually have, are starting to see the fruition of concepts, of ideas into tangible, impactful results. And for investors, they are looking at better opportunities. And for what I call next gen, they want to kick the tires. They want to invest in something that they can see and feel. And this area of ESG and impact investing is just getting started. I think this decade is going to be amazing in terms of the scale, scope, and solution prov provision that's coming. And going back to how do we avoid being derailed this time, the way things got derailed at the end of the, the 2000s. Like you alluded to this a little bit with it being much more driven by corporations now. But, you know, how do we not repeat the mistakes of the past? That's ancient history. This is very 
different time. When you have 65 mandated carbon markets, that's cap and trade and carbon taxes. When you see corporate buying of offsets just starting to scale and move, this is the time it moves really. And now with the SEC making this real and material on the balance sheet, you basically have alignment of all the factors. This is not a one-time thing. Before, you know, the Chicago Climate Exchange was voluntary. I was there. Rolls-Royce was there. There was a, SC Johnson was there with a handful of people that were involved in this. We were kind of pioneers, and I've offset my carbon footprint for 40 years, but big deal. But what I'm getting at this time around, it's become substantial. The investors are there. There's a little bit of hype, but that's okay when a market gets started. And as I said, there'll be some market failures. However, this is not what happened before. And that was waiting to, to be blunt for the United States to move on carbon. Now, California did move on carbon with AB 32, and I was involved in the implementation of that law. And the EU did move in the EU emissions trading scheme. And we saw a, a few months ago, it reached 100 euro. So what I'm seeing is the price is single is there. The prices are going up. I'm not saying it's only a one-way market. There will be traders, there will be hedge funds, there will be volatility. However, it's directionally very different than 10, 15 years ago. And this is probably an unfair question, given you've just wrapped up the uh, the summit for this year. But you know, what are you looking forward to talking about at the uh, 22nd summit next year? Or what do you hope will be on the agenda? I know it's going to be on the agenda. I'm not going away from ESG because there's a lot of confusion in that market. And I, I attacked it from metrics, even on, on crypto and ESG, and obviously carbon. These two are thematic. The other are more longer dated, climate solutions, carbon tech, climate tech. Um, but, but realistically, um, I'm not saying it's going to be the same conference because what I do every year is I'm shumpater. I destroy the conference <laughs> and some of the speakers get angry. that I don't reinvite them, but I get rid of 80 plus percent of the speakers. So it's always a new event with new points of view. Otherwise, it'd be the same old conference. And the other thing we do is we upload all the presentations to our YouTube channel so everybody can see what's going on. So that's another way we're building community. We have now about 160 uh, presentations will be up on YouTube for free, people. It's called Wall Street Green Summit. That's it. Just Google it. Uh, so, no, I, I see these themes being a deeper dive next year, but the same themes. All right. So just one last question before I let you go. Um, what, uh, what big issues do you see as remaining unsettled that, you know, we all need to get to work on to make these these carbon markets more effective? Well, the, the easiest thing that hasn't happened at all is standardization. We're not anywhere near that. There's a gigantic task force for the voluntary market with 250 people on it. I don't think you can get 250 people to agree about anything. So that doesn't really uh, make it interesting to me. And I've always said markets like simplicity for replication of trade. You can't have just one-off markets. So standardization is one thing. Secondly, there's not going to be one price for carbon for the whole world. That doesn't make any sense because you have to look at the fuel inputs and what the emissions are. So if you're using natural gas, it's very different than using coal. Uh, so the reality is this is just the beginning of platforms. I think to, we're going to have to see them stitched together. I'm starting to see like uh, air carbon move into the UAE 
in Indonesia. These are good things. The more dispersion of platforming, the better. It, it's The reality is it's not going to be simple. There's a lot of misinformation about how carbon credits are created. And some people don't like carbon credits and the Brits call it dodgy credits. But the reality is this is here to stay and it makes a lot of sense and people are going to make a lot of money doing it. Well, we're glad you've been sharing the creative destruction of the Wall Street Green Summit with us for the past 21 years and wish you all the best. And thanks again for coming with us today to share the highlights and the takeaways. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks again to Peter Fusaro, founder of the Wall Street Green Summit, which just completed its 21st annual summit. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Join us next week with our guest, Susanna Pierce, Country Chair Canada and General Manager for Renewables and Energy Solutions at Shell, who will share her experience turning net zero commitments into plans for making the energy transition a reality. This episode is brought to you in part by Base Carbon. The trading of carbon credits can help companies and the world meet ambitious goals for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But how do we judge the quality of these projects and how can we ensure that our investments are creating real value? At Base Carbon, we're focused on financing and facilitating the transition to net zero through trusted and transparent partners. It's time to focus on what's important. It's time to get serious on carbon. Learn more at basecarbon.com. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets by Abax. For episode transcripts and additional episode information, including research, editorial, and video content, please visit smartermarkets.media. Please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or producer. Smarter Markets, its hosts, guests, employees, and producer, Abax Technologies, shall not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on informational viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next week.